Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Yeah! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. Another quiet week being a Liverpool fan with a win at Old Trafford and a goal from the goalkeeper. James Max, how are you doing? Not too bad, how are you? Good, thank you. Max? Yeah, I I think I've just about recovered from the heart palpitations that I had yesterday. Um, and yeah, I'm 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 okay. I'm <laughs> I'm weirdly okay. I'm feeling positive about Liverpool, which I haven't done in months. It's well, weird. Let's see if we can uh, keep that going throughout the show. So let's start with the only place we can start, really. 1-1 against West Brom until the 94th minute when none other than Alison Becker scores a header to win the game. James, thoughts? <laughs> I, I just still can't believe it. I couldn't believe it at the time. I, it was just a weird one. You, you see them go up. And you never think a keeper's going to get on the end of it. You always think, yeah. you know, the, the tactics behind it these days, as manager says, when they send a keeper up, it's just to cause distraction and defenders start to panic. They don't know who to mark, but you never expect the keeper to get on the end of it. And to be honest, he, he rolls like a like a prime Van Dyke at the front post and managed to guide it to the back post. And you just wonder, was that been all season? Could we not have had him going up and maybe played rush keeper at the back for corners? But no, it's... Um, I think it's just echoes what's happened this season. There's been highs, there's been lows so far for Liverpool. And I think that game summed it up the most. But yeah, just still can't believe that a keeper has actually scored for Liverpool in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's insanity. There's really no other way to put it. It is absolute insanity. Um, Just, I I just thought it's not going to happen. Like from uh, about, and the hour mark, I just said to my housemate, I just said, this isn't going to happen. We're not breaking this defence. And Trent fired over and then Ginny fired over and it was just one of those games. And then that big, bearded, beautiful bastard came running down the middle of the pitch. And like he's a big boy, Alison Becker. Like, he'd be a threat. Yeah. And um, and he's, he's one of those keepers who you would want like it like if you had to send a keeper up Allison's clearly technically pretty decent like he's not someone who's just gonna yeah sort of do a nap Phillips and throw his body at it like a salmon um <laughs> if if you actually go back and watch that goal Nat Phillips dive at that ball is one of the best things you'll ever <laughs> see there's no technique to it there's no subtlety he literally just throws his body at the ball just hoping that it hits him um but yeah, I mean, Allison. The thing is, it's not even like it was a lucky goal or like you know it came off or something like that. It's a genuinely brilliant header. Exactly, exactly. And we've seen, you know, it's not the first goalkeeper to score in the Premier League. Um, you've got Asmir Begovic, Tim Howard, Brad Friedel. There's there's a few in there, but I think he's, he's from my memory anyway. He's the only one to score a header. They're normally kind of lumping it upfield, and maybe the wind catches it, like with the Begovic and, and the Paul Robinson one for Tottenham as well. You know not real any technique to it, but the way that he, he, he glanced it in, like James says there, like a prime Van Dyke, really. Um, and I guess after the the year he's had with what sadly happened to his, his dad, you know, no one deserves it more. And you could see how happy all the boys were for him and all the staff. Um, he's obviously a well-loved character in and around the club. And it was just really, really touching scenes at the end, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I don't think I've seen this squad of players celebrate like that in a, in a long time. I think we got more of a celebration from them when that went in than when the final whistle went when we won the league. Because I think yeah, the whole I think the whole group of sort of been through their own little things, injuries here and there. And but I think with Allison, I think I've, I mean he's thanked everyone himself. He's even thanked Everton and the likes of Chelsea and and Manchester City because he received letters from them. So I think it's just been a really hard season for him, especially with his family being in a different country and not being able to travel back to see his mother and, and, and stuff yeah. like that. I just think it's been a horrible season for him. And you could tell by the interview that, you know, he said that he hoped his dad was with him whilst he was, whilst he was playing it, watching the game. And yeah, it couldn't happen to a better person. I think, you know, we've relied on him so much over the course of the time he's been at Anfield. So I think for him to get such an embrace off the team and, I think off everyone off social media and in the in the in the news. Um, yeah, I'm really made up for him. Yeah, I mean, I can only really echo what James said there. You know, to, for everything that's happened to him this season, both on and off the pitch, he he missed one game after his father died, and then he just came back. Imagine just going back to work after a week off after yeah. year after you'd lost your dad. And he's like, the thing is, is that I, I was reading an article earlier. We forget how young these guys are. Like, Allison's 28. He's a 28-year-old man. And he, his dad died, and he was expected to just go back to work and just be the same keeper that he has been for the last couple of years. Like, he, I'm not surprised that he had a bit of an off period. Like I think, I think anyone would in the circumstances that he was in. Like you know, he experienced a personal tragedy. He had a, a defense that was all at sea in front of him, and it was just a perfect storm, really. But as our anthem goes, um, he came to the end of the storm, and now you know you could see the reaction from everyone when yeah. when he scored, um, apart from Sam Allardyce, obviously. I'm just so happy for him that he's managed to almost exercise the the demons that he was um, suffering from. And and that picture of him crying into um, Jürgen's chest off the pitch is just such a big emotional moment, I think, for everyone, even those who weren't there like us. Yeah, and I think even though it's been a pretty crappy season for Liverpool it's it, we've, we've been treated with a real iconic moment in, in the club's history their first goalkeeper ever to score a goal for Liverpool and like you say all the players were absolutely made up for him even you know Andy Lonergan's at West Brom at the moment as their reserve goalkeeper and he was you know going up and giving him a hug after the game after the game yesterday and he's on the opposition so it's obviously a really love guy and um, away from the obvious then that was the, the headline clearly coming out of the game but it was a 2-1 win against West Brom that Liverpool really needed in the race for top four as we go into the final two games. What were our, our thoughts on the overall performance? Because um, obviously we went behind fairly early, managed to get back into it with a really nice goal from Salah just before half time. And at that point, you expect us to come out second half and maybe win fairly comfortably, but it took a moment of brilliance um, that no one would have seen coming come to do it. Was it a good result in the end? Um, obviously a good result showing the character or was it a little bit of a disappointing performance-wise that we didn't put them away earlier? I think it's a bit of a mixed bag of what you've just said though, really. Um, when, once the equaliser went in, I did expect us to kick on then and maybe go and get 
two, three, four, try and kill the game off early in the second yeah. half, maybe try and bring one of the front three off, try and rest them for Burnley. But then again, this is a Sam Allardyce team and very rarely, especially against Jurgen Klopp, he, he seems to get it right, Sam Allardyce. You know, you look at the results earlier in the season, yeah. uh, just after Christmas at Anfield were... I think they only had about 27% of possession. West Brom has still managed to come away with a point. I just think it, it. we've just found it really hard to play against him. Um, I think he seems to have Klopp's cards numbered, really. Um, but I think all of this season, especially on the podcast, we've questioned, you know, Liverpool's mentality monsters. Are they the same? And I think if you look at them over the last three games, and especially in the game... Um, Yesterday, I think you've got to say, you know, that that is still there within the squad um, to just grind it through, still create chances and miss a chance, but to still carry on. And yeah, th- there is luck at the end with Allison. And but you know, Liverpool worked hard for it. We had twenty shots before that went in it, t- compared to West Brom. I think they had three or four. So I was really impressed with the performance going forward at the back. We, sh- we still looked a bit shaky with Reese Williams, but I- I'm not going to criticise the lad. He Probably never expected to play 10 minutes for Liverpool this season, never mind to have as many appearances as he has and to start at, uh, at Old Trafford midweek and then West Brom on Sunday. So uh, just onwards and upwards and, you know, if we win the next two games, that's it. Champions League. But I don't think any of us would have said that, you know, two months ago. So I'll take it. Yeah. Um, huh. It wasn't a good performance. I think some players performed well. I think that it was quite a patchy performance. Um, Thiago was fantastic throughout the whole game. He was brilliant. He ran the game. His passing was incredible. He brought out his little shimmies and his turns to um, to beat the West Brom press. Starting to shoot a bit more, which I like. I, I think that has been an instruction. Um, because I'm starting to notice him in those little pockets in front of uh, in front of the defense. Um, and he's clearly got the quality to score goals like that. However, there were some poor performances. Um, both our center backs, Reese Williams and Nat Phillips. Like, if there is a game that you would think Nat Phillips would be best suited to, it would be West Brom, Sam Allardyce, long balls, just proper 4 4 2 like big strikers and he failed the test yeah um quite spectacularly on some occasions and reese williams i <laughs> i i yeah reese williams frustrates me i think that he is i i completely get the arguments he's very young uh he's very green he he would not have expected to have played um to have played at this level but at the moment I just I feel like he he will cost us a goal mm. every, like every game he plays. I I just feel like I mean the the goal against West Brom was so avoidable. It was so avoidable, and he has a tendency to do this. He's done it. He did it against Spurs, and he did it against West Brom, and he did it against Man United. And that's just off the top of my head of running out of the defensive line and getting a striker coming in behind him. 
He and he's not fast. Joe Gomez has the luxury of being able to do that because he's quick. Reese Williams does not have that luxury, and someone on the coaching staff has got to get into his head that he can't always be really aggressive and push out of the line because we've considered a few goals and a few chances as a result of him doing that. Um, I also thought Fabinho was off it. Um, I thought his passing was off it, um, even though our goal came from a, my God, if I was a West Brom fan, conceding that first goal after the ref had got, got in the mm-hmm. way of Fabinho, and for some reason decided to give him a free kick, I'd be furious. But yeah, I thought he was off it. Um Mane, I don't think, played badly. His shooting, as per the last couple of months, has been was awful. But no, I think he played really well. So whether it was a good performance, I, I would give it a 6 out of 10 overall. But I think Saba players, particularly Thiago and Trent, really um, turned up. And yeah, Thiago is obviously the one that really stood out, I think, from the outfield player's perspective. Um, just a couple of stats. He had the most passes, most touches, and most passes in the opposition opposition half than any other player for Liverpool. So I think that shows that he's really beginning to dictate and dominate midfields and games. Um, would we say that that's his kind of his best performance yet, James? And he really showed a, maybe a little glimpse of what we've, the true Tiago that we may not have seen so far this season. The last two or three games, he's really kind of coming into his own in that, in that area. I think this last week, the fixtures of Southampton at home, United and uh, the West Brom game are the best back-to-back games we've seen from Thiago. I think we've seen yeah. him at times where he's played brilliant one week and then he's, through no fault of his own, Fabinho's probably had to go back into centre-back. So he's then had to drop deeper. So I think it's definitely the best collective bunch of games we've seen from him um, since, and I think it's his best game probably since the Merseyside derby before the injury that he got from the Richarlison tackle. Um, I just think it, it seems to be an extra 10 yards further up the pitch than, than what he was a couple of months ago. And obviously I think that comes down to Fabinho being back. But listen, I think it was now starting to see the reason why we've signed and why Klopp's brought him in. Because even though um, West Brom did play deep as well, we did get in behind them quite a few times yesterday. And I think... There seems to be a bit of a partnership going on between Thiago and Trent. I think he seems to know when Trent's going and where he's going to be in that final third. And I think that could be really dangerous going forward, especially into next season. But I think, like I said, this is best run of games we've seen. And I think we're starting to see the real quality that he can bring onto the football pitch. Because like Max alluded to before, some of the shoulder drops and the little the little turns here and there, I mean, Good. We've never, I've never seen, we haven't seen anything like this probably since Coutinho left. And sometimes you're just in awe at watching him control the ball and dictate the play. And I am glad now that we've signed him. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, it's not a surprise that the times he's done well have been when we've had a relatively settled um, team. I think all the movement. You know, the fact he's, he's never even lived in the UK before. He speaks the language very well. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of getting used to. And then he got injured and just, and he had COVID. And so many things were just against him for so much of the season. But now he's got a run in the team. He's got Fabinho behind him. So he knows that he's got a little bit more assurance to get forward. Um, and he is just, I mean, he is by far um, the most technical midfielder we have. Um, he yeah. is he's fantastic on the ball 
Um, and I think particularly next season when you see more of Henderson and Fabinho in midfield with him, he'll have so much more freedom to do what he does best and that's take the ball and use it and get it to um, and get it to the people who score the goals. And James, you mentioned his partnership with Trent there. And one thing I noticed yesterday particularly, and it's something that I noticed in the Man United game as well and a couple of other occasions that Trent seems to be kind of underlapping a lot more where he's coming a bit more central. He's kind of cutting inside, whereas often you may expect him just to kind of bomb down the wing and whip one in. He seems to be getting in more central positions and getting more shots off. I don't know if that's a deliberate tactical tweak from Klopp and the team. Um, it's just an observation I've seen. Do you think that's something that going forward we should be trying to utilise more? Because we know he's got a hell of a shot on him from dead ball situations and crossing, obviously, he's amazing at. So do you think getting in those goal-scoring areas is something we'd like to see more from Trent? I'd like to see it from him. And I mean, we've heard it coming from the, well, when he was at the academy and now into the first team that he probably can play in central midfield. He's got the legs and he's got the ability to dictate the play with his passing ability. And it's like you said, his crossing ability. And he kept, some of his goals that he scored this season, most of them have come from, they haven't come from dead ball situations. They've come from him running into the box or arriving into the box and scoring. Um, and yeah, it, it, it is a good observation that obviously he's not bombing on. So I think it's confusing teams because you've got Robertson bombing on and then you've got Trent bombing on, but then Holton is run. And then I think the defence then gets split into two different directions. And I think it might be something, like you said, we might see a little bit more. Will it change when Van Dyke comes back and he's spraying the balls out to his to his two fullbacks going forward? I don't know, but I'm all for it because we seem to be playing a little bit better when when that is the case. Yeah, um, it's it is noticeable that he's starting to cut inside a little bit more. Um, yeah, he, I think, getting him up and further down the pitch um, and closer into the box is obviously going to allow him to create more chances. Um, but one other thing that I think it does is him coming a bit more centrally means that there's less space to come inside on the counter-attack for, for other teams. If he's if his starting position when we lose the ball is a bit more central, that means that he hasn't got... Because a lot of the time when you see him struggle is when he's caught out wide on the pitch, one-on-one with an attacker, and they run inside him. So the benefit of him cutting in field when we do have the ball is that he can cut that angle off a lot quicker than he can if he's really close to the touchline. Um, it's all, it's almost the opposite problem that you see with um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who quite often gets caught too narrow um, uh, on a switch. Um, so, yeah, I think this is quite interesting, not just from an attacking point of view, but I think it's also helped Trent out with his defensive positioning as well. And obviously, reports today state that in terms of Trent's England future, I guess, um, again been reporting the Athletic is that Gareth Southgate is looking likely to leave him out. The squad for the Euros hasn't been finalised yet and a lot can change in terms of injuries, etc. in the next week or so. But at time of recording, it seems more likely than not that Trent's not going to go to the Euros, even with UEFA allowing teams to have 26 men in the squad rather than the usual 23. Just a word on, we spoke about this before on the podcast, but just a word or two from you both on what's an absolute baffling decision that seems to be from Gareth Southgate? Uh, it's mind-blowing for me, personally. I think, how can you look at Trent and not prefer him ahead of Reese James? 
I, I like Reese James. I think Reese James is a good player, but I don't think he's the right back to take England to to the next level. Um, and I think if reports are true that Harry Maguire could miss the Euros this year, um, I think Southgate would be a fool or an idiot. That, that's the kind way to, to, to put it. So go five at the back with Kyle Walker in the back three and having Trent as your right wing back because we, we aren't blessed with great centre-backs at the moment in time. I don't really want Tyrone Mings in a back in a back four, to be honest, or Connor Cody's a you know, good centre-half, but he hasn't got the pace to play as a two. Um, but like you said, to not even take him in the 26, it, it would just be ridiculous. And what would annoy me more is if Jesse Lingard gets in after playing well for four months and hardly playing for United before that, gets in the squad ahead of someone like Trent, who is a generational talent and has played right back for a European and a Premier League winning team. It, 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 but again, that would just echo everything about Gareth Southgate. And I think uh, it better be, he's got to be careful because I think this squad selection and how we do it, the Euros could determine whether he gets to keep his job at the end of it because this is the best squad of talent we've had probably since Italia 90. It's probably the best chance we've got. Yeah, I. the idea that he has looked at Trent's performances for the last couple months and thought to himself, no, he is my fifth choice right back, is um, baffling. If Carl Walker starts ahead of Trent at the Euros and Trent goes, I have few issues with that. Gareth Southgate's system is not as protective of the fullbacks as Jürgen Klopp's is. Jürgen Klopp's system is designed around Alexander-Arnold's attacking capabilities. But even so, I mean, like, think think of England in a situation that England have been in in many times before. Um, 75th minute, you're 1-0 down against a team who are just sitting deep and you can't break through. Wouldn't you want to bring on someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold to swing in crosses for Harry Kane or Dominic Calvert-Lewin or John Stones or any of the a lot of big men that this England yeah. squad has got? I just to not even give yourself that option for the sake of someone like Kieran Trippier. It just, I mean, like with all due respect to Kieran Trippier, he's a good player. He's about to win the title in La Liga, but he is not on the same level as. Alexander Arnold. He just is, and yet Southgate will pick Kieran Trippier. I'm absolutely sure um, in his squad because he's worked with him before to a great extent. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are some personal issues there because he can't use the form argument now. Trent Alexander Arnold has probably been the best right back in England since his omission from the last England squad. Um, so he can't use form as a defence now, and he basically has to either admit that he has had some sort of falling out with Alexander-Arnold or just say he doesn't fit into my plans full stop because there is no temporary excuse for leaving him out, and it's, 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 it is moronic. And as James said, if Jesse Lingard, who played well for, what, six weeks, and now he's disappeared as West Ham have had some bad results... Um, if he pits Jesse Lingard with the amount of attacking talent we have over Alexander-Arnold, then quite frankly, he's an idiot. Yeah, it's very, very strange. Um, obviously, no final decision has been made at time of recording, but that's just the way it looks. And there's fresh reports this morning suggesting that 
will be the case. Um, we'll wait and see, I guess. But like Max says there, since his original omission from the squad, I don't think I think he's done absolutely everything you can expect of him, and he's been probably the best fullback in the Premier League in in that time frame. He's not been the best fullback in the Premier League this season, but in the last three months, I would argue he has been. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, before we move on to looking ahead, let's just have a little glance back because we didn't get to properly speak about um, Liverpool four, Manchester United two. Always nice to win at Old Trafford. The first time we've done. So for seven or eight years, I think, and Klopp's first time as Liverpool manager, uh, it was a lovely little result, wasn't it, last Thursday night, James? It was. Uh, it was. It was. It was a really nice Thursday night for once. Um, <laughs> you, you, you know, you got all the the jibes from the United fans saying, "Well, get used to playing on Thursday nights because this is what it's going to be for you." And you know, the fact they rested ten players against Leicester on Tuesday night to play a stronger side against us, and you know. Let's be honest, it should have been more than four. You know, Jota hits the post and uh, Firmino has a couple more chances and you know, we could have been away by about the 70th minute. But, you know, with the inexperience at the back, we let them back into the game. But I think that was, it blew me away, that performance on Thursday. I, I genuinely didn't expect it. I thought we'd maybe come away with a draw, especially after going 1-0 down. I thought maybe the Reds would drop, but no, they can you know, totally surprised by the way they came back and how how well they played because, you know, United at home, you know, that's where they're supposed to play the best football and Bruno didn't really do anything in the game. He was supposed to be the PFA player of the year this year. So I think, you know, the midfield did well to keep him quiet, but, you know, it's, it's another season undefeated against Manchester United, which is always nice bragging rights to go around with. But yeah, I think that's what, has given us the momentum to go into these final two games now. And I think that that was definitely needed for, for Champions League football. Yeah, I mean, that that win was huge. Um, I, I think if we, if we draw or lose that, then the top four is gone. Um, there is no chance that we get back into it. And when I saw Nat Phillips put in his own net, I just thought, oh, God, here we go again. We're going to spend the whole game just banging on the door and then Marcus Rashford's going to get in in like the 75th minute or something and make it 2-0. But I, um, ye of little faith. He, we came straight back into the game. Um, I thought that Thiago, again, played really, really well. Fabinho was snapping into challenges, didn't give Bruno a sniff. I think a massive tactical error that um, Ollie made in that game is putting Paul Pogba on the left because Trent just had free reign down that right-hand side because Popper just is not the athlete um, in terms of pure speed that Marcus Rashford is. And it's not a surprise that when Mason Greenwood came on and Rashford switched over to the left side, that that was United's best period of the game was when they had that pace to get behind Trent. Like if you, if you put a slow left winger on the side of Trent Alexander-Arnold, you are asking for trouble. And Trent absolutely dominated them the entire game. And just a quick word on the Sadio Mane incident at the end, obviously, he's not had a great season and it's not nice to see him, I guess, publicly disrespect the manager in that manner. But do you think it's just a matter of frustrations boiling over? Because Klopp didn't seem too concerned after the game. Yeah, I think it was. And I I think this is in Sadio Mane's character now. I don't think this is the first time we've seen him have an argument with either Klopp or we've seen it with Mo Salah a few times on the pitch and coming off the pitch. So I just think he's someone who likes to give his all for his team. And 
you know, likes to be someone who can be dependent, you know, depended on and obviously not starting away at Old Trafford in Liverpool's biggest game of the season. And he's left out for Jota, who we just signed in the summer and Firmino, who hasn't been in the greatest goal scoring form. I know he scored two goals, you know, in the game, but beforehand, you know, he, he really hasn't hit, hit the heights with the goal scoring again this season. So I just think a lot of it was frustration and um, that maybe he might feel like he's, getting pushed out a little bit by Jotted down that left-hand side. Maybe his starting spot isn't as secure, but I don't think there's anything in it. You know, he, he looked sharp enough again on yesterday against West Brom. He, he, again, he didn't score, but he was getting himself in those positions and it didn't look like it affected his performance. But just got to hope and cross your fingers that Mane's form arrives next season because, again, Salah's scoring. But if we can get somebody else chipping in with a goal every other game, you know, we'd be a lot higher up the league. Yeah, I I was quite annoyed when I first saw it, my first reaction, because if you don't want to be starting on the bench, then produce in front of goal. It's pretty simple if you're a forward. And Mane simply hasn't done that to the extent that Diogo Jota has. So I don't think he can be overly surprised that Jürgen has um, plumped for Diogo Jota ahead of him. And also I think it sends him a message, um, and Roberto Firmino, that they have to play to win these spots. Um, ahead of Jota. Um, has he, I think he has improved in the last couple of games. His shooting is still woeful, um, but I think his general play has really improved. And as Jurgen Klopp said, if we threw a massive tantrum every single time a player got annoyed with their manager on the pitch, then we'd be talking about a similar thing to this every single week. Um, and Mane has been a great, great sermon for Jurgen Klopp. And I think that, that it was always going to be blown out of proportion. But I think by the same token, Mane does have to get his head together um, before the beginning of next season. Because as he has admitted himself, this is his worst ever season for Liverpool. And he, whatever is going wrong, he needs to sort it out. So next up for Liverpool, obviously, last two games of the season, absolutely massive. We go to Turf Moor on Wednesday against Burnley before Crystal Palace at home at Anfield on the final day. Need to win both of them to guarantee a top four place. So it's in our hands, which it didn't look like it would be a few weeks ago um, due to Leicester and, um, Leicester and Chelsea sorry, playing each other as well. Kabak has been ruled out for the rest of the season, as has Diogo Jota. Um, but Kabak specifically... I'm not so sure we'll ever see him again play for Liverpool. Um, I personally think we're only going to buy one centre-half this summer, and I think it will be Konate. Um, so first question, if Kabak doesn't play for us again, it would be a bit of a shame, won't it, really? Because I think he's, he's contributed and he's settled into the squad quite nicely and he seems like a, you know, a, nice, a nice guy and all those things you look for in a, in a professional. So it would be a bit of a shame. Yeah, I, th- I think it will be a shame. I mean, you know, for a 20-year-old coming from one of the worst teams in recent Bundesliga history coming to Liverpool and bringing some sort of stability to that back line is, is, you know, it it deserves to be, you know, to be plotted really. I mean, he got thrown with Henderson for a couple of games. He got thrown with Fabinho for a couple of games. And then he started to build this relationship with Nat Phillips where he seemed to be the ball playing centre half and he'd come out and, and win the, in the ball on the ground and that Phillips would be the guy in the air. And we started to see maybe some sort of partnership forming, nothing to rival Joe Gomez and, and Van Dyke for next season. They were never going to be on the bench, but 
I think it will be a real shame. And listen, if, if the club were to make his move permanent, I wouldn't be against it because I think he has played well. And I think for the age and how much money that Schalke will demand, obviously they've been relegated. So it's not going to be as high as what it would have been if they'd have stayed up. Um, but yeah, like like you said, Luke, I can't see Liverpool signing another centre-back to compete with the likes of Canate, Gomez, Joel Matip and Virgil van Dijk. I think one of those would probably have to go anyway. But if we, you know, if we do manage to win these next two games and we do get top four, I think that Kabak um, has played a massive part in us getting in, in back into Europeans elite competition. Yeah, I can only give credit to Kabak for how he's performed for the majority of the time he's been here. Obviously, had a bit of a nightmare start um, that game against Leicester. Um, but yeah, after that, he settled in well, um, helped get some sort of um, form back to the defensive line, competed really well in the air, um, was confident carrying the ball, has an £18 million option, apparently. Yeah, I think I think he's been really good, to be honest, um, for the um, for what you'd expect from him. I think he exceeded my expectations when he played. I think the only way that we see him come in is if Joel Massip is um, sold by the club, and then he and Canate come in. Canate is a challenger to Gomez for the position next to Van Dyke, and then. Um, Kabak comes in as the rotational option, but that's only if a buyer can be found for Matip because God bless him, he's he's such a good defender. But I I wouldn't be surprised if the club decided that his injury record um is just too much to cope with. Yeah, completely agree. Um, we'll see what happens with Kabak. Um, in terms of the short term, these two last games, you expect us to stick with the Phillips and Reese Williams partnership as we've had for the last last few Fabinho going back into midfield I think we've won every every game since he's, he's gone back in there so he's obviously worked um, and we know how good he is shielding that back four are we a little bit concerned though saying that that the Phillips and Williams partnership for such two huge huge games there's no getting away from it could come back and bite us yeah I think this is probably where I'm the most nervous now going into these last two games I've been feeling pretty confident and then you start to think, oh, Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes versus Nat Phillips and Reese Williams at the back. It's, it's not going to be great. And especially with Burnley having fans in the stadium as well, you don't know if that's going to yeah. lift Burnley slightly. And all they're on the worst run in a form since coming back up to the Premier League. I think they haven't won a game in the last eight or nine. So they're not on the greatest run of form. I think we've spoken off, off the show Um between ourselves where we said maybe drop Fabinho back into centre-back and play a Genie-Tiago partnership in midfield, maybe Curtis Jones, but then you're hindering how well that Tiago's been playing with Fabinho alongside him. But yeah, it's going to be a tough decision. and I think it's going to be one that I think Reese Williams is really going to have to step up to the mark for these last two games because even against Crystal Palace, he's going to have Benteke, who, I mean, he wasn't the greatest when he was at Anfield, but he is still a really big threat in the air and yeah it's not going to be easy watching especially the Burnley game especially if the weather's like it is up here in the northwest if it's going to be blowing a gale on Wednesday night I'm really not looking forward to it yeah that's it um if I were Burnley I would just say to um Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood look just stick on Williams 
let him commit, stay away from Phillips because he can beat you in the air. Um, Reese Williams can't. We will sit deep, we will soak up as much pressure as we can, and we will launch the ball to you and we will try and get runners to you. And Reese Williams is a tall lad, but he has got no meat on his bones whatsoever. He's getting he will get absolutely bullied by like wooden barns are not just tall. They are big, stocky lads. And if we're not careful, Reese Williams could get absolutely bullied by them. Um, the There is a degree of temptation, as we talked about, with putting Fabinho back there. Because let's be honest, Burnley in particular are not going to be trying to run at us through the middle of the park. That is not a Burnley way of playing. What Berlin will try and do is get the ball long and high to their forwards and then try and get their wingers up to support them with Dwight McNeil um, and whoever whoever they whack out on the right wing, um, trying to use that pace to get in behind our fullbacks. That's what they'll do. So maybe putting a more physical presence in Fabio at the back and um, trusting Ginny and Thiago maybe as a double pivot in midfield um, would not be the worst idea. However, I wouldn't be opposed to it if Fabinho's in midfield. And maybe even um, when we do lose the ball there, try and keep Fabinho as far back as possible and maybe rotate Reese Williams um, in front of him and let Fabinho challenge for the ball when it comes in the air. Yeah, Almost play a back three when we don't have the ball. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a tricky one for Reese. Um, like you say, he's really tall, but he's not really got much presence about him. It's particularly against a team who thrive in battles in the air. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I'll put you both on the spot now. We're going to have a podcast next week after the Palace game. Will Liverpool be in fourth place when that podcast is recorded? Yeah, they will. I, I, I do think we will. I just think you can't not after Alisson's header on Sunday. <laughs> you, 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 can't go, you can't go bother. You can't. Can't do that to Allison. You can't bring him up for a corner, make him the hero when they're not finished top four after that. Um, I think obviously the Chelsea result against Arsenal uh, midweek last week was huge for us. And I think we can, if, you know, Chelsea and Leicester draw and we win, then, you know, we go a point above Chelsea and then it's just match Chelsea's result on the final day. So it's going to be nail biting. It's going to be nervous. It's a bit like when. Klopp first came in where top four qualification always came down to the final day of the season. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to say we're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I have to say that we're going to do it. I, I, I love being the negative one on this podcast, as we all know. But yeah, it, it, logically, if you look at it, the probability is that, yes, we will be top four before... Um, uh, before the Crystal Palace game. I mean, anything can happen. Burnley could do what they did to us at Anfield and frustrate us and do everything that we know Burnley love to do, but they they might they might not. Um, and something else that gives me a bit of hope is, as you said, um, James, if there's a draw, which is a very realistic possibility, um, between Leicester and Chelsea. All we have to do, we don't even have to beat Palace on the final day if that happens and we win tomorrow. All we have to do is match their result. And Chelsea are going away to Aston Villa, who are going to have fans back. 
yeah. with Jack Grealish probably fully fit by that point um, on the final day. I would not, if I was a Chelsea fan, I would be nervous about that game. I, they will be favourites, but that is not a fun game to finish off with. And by the same token, Leicester are playing Spurs on the final day. So we have definitely got, on paper at least, the easiest fixture on the final day out of the three clubs that are now probably the only ones who are realistically going to make those final two top four spots. Um, yeah, I think I think we can do it. I think the neutrals are going to be loving it. We're going to be absolutely hating the next 120 minutes of football, however long it'll be. But yeah, well, fingers crossed uh, we do it. Um, as always, we end on the big question of the week um, where I put to the guys a question from the world of football. This week it's a little bit different. We've all came up with our Premier League teams of the season, which I'm sure will cause much debate um, amongst us and on social media. We'll post them on social media um, when the podcast is released as well, so everyone can absolutely abuse us for our choices like Gary Neville and Carragher had to endure when they did it a few weeks ago. Um, how it will work, I think we'll go by positions and we'll all say who we've done in each position um, to start with, rather than reviewing the whole team immediately, give a bit more suspense to everyone listening. Um, so we'll start with goalkeeper, um, and I'll go first. I've gone with Emmy Martinez at Aston Villa. I think he's had a great season. I think he's a really good keeper. I think Arsenal were maybe a little bit premature to let him go because reports this week say that Leno may be looking to leave Arsenal in the summer, so they could have stuck with Martinez and they've got had a really good goalkeeper there. Um, he's still in with a shot for the Golden Glove, although I think the last few weeks... Villa have conceded a few, um, but for playing for a team like Aston Villa and keeping the number of clean sheets he has, I think he's been an absolute rock back there. Um, that's why he gets my choice. I'm going with the same choice, um, just purely on the basis of, I mean, we've spoken here on this podcast about how important Jack Grealish is to Aston Villa and you see him where they are without him. But imagine if you took Martinez out of that team and it'd be in a relegation scrap. Um, I think he's been unbelievable. I, I agree with you about Arsenal selling him prematurely. I think they probably never expected his stock to go so high after the FA Cup win and they've looked to cash in where they can. But I think he's been absolutely unbelievable this season. And yeah, he gets my vote. And I'm going to round it out and make it three out of three for Emmy Martinez. Yeah, he is. He is just been fantastic this season he's that big fit set figure in got he's a properly intimidating looking keeper um great shot stopper not afraid to go into a physical challenge and claim the ball lightning quick reflexes yeah arsenal were very very silly getting rid of him um uh, given how well he was doing and even if they had to say okay we'll rotate you and and Bern Leno in different competitions or whatever they needed to say, they should have tried their damnedest to keep him. Um, I think anyone who manages to keep the amount of clean sheets that he has when you've got Tyrone Calamity Mings uh, as one of your centre-halves um, has done very, very well. And, yeah, I, I, I really respect him. And if there is a club looking for a keeper... Um, in this coming transfer window, who's at the top of the game, they could do a lot worse than trying to pick up Martinez. Next, we'll go with centre-backs, I think. Um, mine, I've gone with Ruben Diaz, obviously at Man City. I think uh, that's going to be on all of our lists. He's been absolutely immense this season and for me, probably been the best player in the league. The Van Dyke comparisons are a bit premature for me, but he's definitely been the standout 
centre-back in the Premier League this season. And alongside him, I've gone with Wesley Fofana at Leicester, I think. Really good young centre-back, played really well in the cup final on the weekend. Um, someone I would not be opposed to Liverpool of having had a look at, but I think he's gonna, his you know, price tag now is going to be absolutely off the scale given the season he's had with Leicester. And he's been a big part of getting them where they are this year. Um, so yeah, I've gone Ruben Diaz and Wesley Fofana. See, I did have those two as mine, but I'll go one slightly different. Obviously, Ruben Diaz, you know, like he said, he's been arguably the best signing of the summer. Um, you know, he's a PFA Player of the Year candidate already in his first season. And, you know, look at where City were last season compared to this season. I think he's had a massive impact on that. Um, but to go alongside him, I've gone with John Stones. And oh. I've gone with John Stones purely because I just look at the where his career was going. And where it is now, I think he was a little bit where Eric uh, Merrick Laporte is at the moment, where it's, is he going to start? Is he on the bench? He's a rotation player, but now he's he's added goals to his game. He, he looks good on the ball again. He has been prone to maybe one or two errors this season, but all in all for how he's come back from where he was two seasons ago and last season especially, um, I, I think it, that, that deserves to be um, rewarded. Yeah, um, I, I mean, Ruben Diaz, we've we've last waxed lyrical about him. He's been fantastic. He's been immense. Uh, he's the leader that City needed at the back after uh, Vincent Company left. Hasn't quite got the athleticism um, or technique that Van Dyke does, but he is nevertheless a world class defender. And you can only applaud City for um, bringing him in and applaud him for how well he's played. Um, and taken to the Premier League after coming over from Portugal. Um, I was tossing up between three players um, for the centre-back role. Much as I don't think he's world-class, I think Harry Maguire has been very good for United this season. We've we've seen how much of an impact not having him organising their defence has had um, uh, since he's been out injured. Uh, I also thought about John Stones uh, being really good this season, passes the ball so well. He's such a nice player to watch on the ball. However, I agree with Luke. Wesley Fofana is my other centre-half. He has just been such a revelation for Leicester coming in. I mean, Johnny Evans and Soyuncu um, was already a pretty good um, centre-back pairing, but bringing in Fofana, it just gives you so much flexibility. Back three, back four. Um. He's very comfortable in both. And in Soyuncu and Fafana, they now have, realistically, they could have a centre-back partnership for the next 10 years with those two. He's happy on the ball, really combative. He's an athlete. He's got pace. Um, yeah, he, Leicester's recruitment department has done it again with him. I think he's fantastic. So, full-backs, I've gone left-back Luke Shaw. I think he's had a really good season for Man United and he's probably re-established himself in the international setup where realistically a year or so ago he may not have been any anywhere near it he obviously came out from an awful injury a few years back and then the whole Mourinho saga as well but I think since Solskjaer's came in he's, he's just got better and better um other than pretty awful mistake against us last week I think he's he's been near faultless this season and I'm right back I was having a bit of a struggle um Trent's obviously been really good recently but I don't think he's done enough for the whole season um, West Ham's fullback, um, he's another one who I think's had a really good season. But I've gone with Jacques Canseo. I think he's he's 
show he's been a very pep guardiola fullback um he's been allowed to kind of roam into midfield get forward and also he's been pretty solid defensively as well so i've gone with yeah short and Kansai. i've gone with luke Shaw again at left back um this year the premier league just hasn't been blessed with left backs this season um yeah i'll go with uh, go with him for again the same reasons like he said i'd I, don't think I ever saw him being able to produce the level of performances that he has since that leg break. Um, I think it was away at Feyenoord in the Europa League. Um, so I'll go with him at left back. And then you mentioned my pick before. I'm going to go for Vladimir Kufal at right back. Um, the reason I've gone with him is because I just look at where West Ham were last season, leaking goals left, right and centre. And this season, he's the only real defensive player they brought in and he's just completely changed that right hand side of the pitch um, for them he, he loves to get forward I mean he rattled the bar against Everton last Sunday he, you know he's got the odd goal this season and I just think for his impact on the team and West Ham going from staying up on basically the final near enough the final day of the season to a chance with Europa League football I think that needs to be commended and yeah I'll go for go for the underdog go for Kufel yeah, Kufal's been very, very good, but I went with uh, Jargoncello uh, right back. He's just he's been fantastic for Manchester City. And I, th- I think he's... What I really like about him is that there's all this argument over, you know, oh, do you want your right back to be a Trent Alexander-Arnold, incredible going forward, but can be a bit suspect um, behind the ball? Or do you want an Aaron Wan-Bissaka who teams will sometimes just literally leave open as they don't think he's a threat going forward, but will be great one-on-one. Joao Cancelo is a, he's a hybrid of the two. He's a great athlete, great at running up and down the wing. Um, he carries the ball so, so well. He's so happy with the ball at his feet. He's a good crosser of the ball. Um, very aggressive defender, happy to tackle and intercept. Um, yeah, I love him. I think, I think he's a Brilliant, brilliant player. Luke Shaw is my left back. Um, Robbo's been a bit off it this season. There's been a couple of players um, who've done okay um, in that left back role. Ben Chilwell's um, done quite well since his move to Chelsea, but I think Luke Shaw has just been so reliable for Manchester United in that left back role. He's very happy to defend and he's much, much better going forward than he was um, in the last couple of seasons. He's really upped his game on that front. And I think he should be easily the starting left back for England at the coming Euros. I think me and Max have picked everyone completely the same so far, which was... We have, yeah. (laughs) Midfield then, uh, I think there'll be a couple of similar ones in here as well. I've gone with Bruno Fernandes, Kevin De Bruyne. And this was the one that I was kind of debating. Thomas Suchek came into mind, um, a couple of others. But I went with Mason Mount. I think he's been really, really good, particularly since Tuchel came in. But I think even before that, I think he was a standout player under Lampard for Chelsea as well. Um, And he's also probably one of the first names on the team sheet for England in this summer's Euros. I think he's so classy on the ball. He seems to glide past players. He's, and he's added more and more goals and assists to his game this year as well, which um, I think is obviously massively important. So my midfield three, it doesn't have to be a three, but I went with a 4 3 three formation. Um, it's Bruno Fernandes, Kevin De Bruyne and Mason Mount. Yeah, I agree with, I've gone with Bruno and I've gone with Kevin De Bruyne. I think you look at De Bruyne's levels over the last couple of years and especially this season, it's, it's amazing how he's managed to keep it open 
as much as it annoys me with Bruno, I think he's, you know, you look at where United were when he was and when he first came in and it's just completely different to how they are now. Um, but the other person I've gone in the free is Phil Foden. Now I've put him in the midfield free. Um, the reason I've gone with him is obviously with David Silva retiring at the back end of last season, everyone sort of said City are going to have to bring somebody in to replace him. Phil Foden's still not ready yet. You know, they're going to have to bring that talisman in the midfield, someone who could break the lines and pick a pass out. And I tell you what, <laughs> they've managed to produce one of their own to be the exact same. I mean, some of the ball control he's got in the way he can dart through plays as, as well as he can. He's done it in the in the Champions League now. He's, I think this, I know everyone's calling him a three-time Premier League winner, but I think he only made a handful of appearances in the other two title wins. But this season, I think he's had a massive impact on on City um, and obviously being where they are in the league. But obviously he can play out wide on the right or the left. He can sit behind you know, the striker. And I just think he's been unbelievable. And yeah, I'm going to go for Phil Foden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's really hard. Um, I am going to go with um, Thomas Suchek. I'm going to go with Bruno Fernandes and I'm going to go with Kevin De Bruyne. Thomas Suchet, it just seemed like such a nothing signing when he first came to West Ham. Like, you know, a player from the Czech Republic. And he's just come in and been a revelation. He is he is um, David Moyes' new Fellaini. He's someone who is just so scarily good in the air that as soon as West Ham have a corner, you are just crapping yourself um, that it's going to get near Sucha. And he's formed such a nice partnership with Declan Rice, who I also really considered for um, uh, coming into the team this year. I think he's been he's been excellent as well. And they they... Without those two, West Ham are nowhere near the European places that they've been challenging for. I, I don't think they're even close. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, what, what more can you say about him? He's not the um, he's not had the best goal scoring season of his career, but he's still just posting the most amazing um, creative numbers. He is such a good passer of the ball. He's such a talisman for Manchester City and. He is the epitome of everything great about that team. Um, and Bruno Fernandes, he's not the most likable player, um, but the guy is just a machine in terms of productivity. And people who take the piss out of him scoring penalties, penalties are goals, and they are not as easy as they look to score. You're under so much pressure to do it, and he just delivers every single time. And without him, Manchester United are not even close to challenging for the title. He has had such a huge impact at that club. And, yeah, you can't do anything but applaud him for it. And in the final phase, which is the forwards, I've gone with Harry Kane in the middle. Um, I think it speaks for itself. He still probably the best number nine out-and-out striker in the league. But this year, as well as that, He's added a passing range that maybe we didn't know that he had in his locker um, and really, really nice partnership with Son um, that's been forged. He really 
deserves better than what Tottenham have done over the last two years for his career. I think he's, you know, like I said, he's probably the best striker in in, in Premier League. Then I've gone with Mo Salah. Um, I know Carragher didn't pick him in his team a few weeks ago. I think he might be regretting that a little bit now. Both Salah and Kane are obviously the top two scorers in the league. I think Salah's the only Liverpool player that can probably say, you know, he's continued at the same level as last year and the year before. God knows where we'd be without his goals. He's still posting magnificent numbers into, you know, the 20s again this year. I think it's 30 in all competitions. And then I've chosen Phil Foden as well, but I've played him in, a, in the forward positions. Um, James summed it up excellently, I think. He's been really, really good. I mean, what a player we've got on the hands for England, from an England perspective. And Man City, it's scary how he could basically be in the nucleus of that team for the next decade. He's still so young and he's still so talented. Um, I don't can't remember the last time England produced such a naturally gifted footballer, and he's not obviously not, not comparing him to Leo Messi because you can't with anyone, but he's got that kind of diminutive um, stature and the way that he just turns away from players and controls the ball so effortlessly. I think he's a really great player to watch, and there's probably some even more big moments for him to come in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Phil Foden, but um, yeah, I've gone with uh, Mo Salah on the right. Uh, can't really say more than what Luke said. You know, if, if he wasn't in the starting eleven, I'd hate to think where we'd be. Um, a shining light again. And I mean, 22 goals again this season is just absolutely ridiculous for someone who doesn't take penalties. Because if James Milner's on the pitch, he'll take them. And we haven't had many this season compared to the other other big team. So 22 is huge. Um, Harry Kane, obviously, obviously he's a steward as well. I think, like he said, dropping deeper and playing, I hate it, but the quarterback role where he, he drops deeper, his two wingers have bombed on and how he's been able to link up. And I think obviously the injuries that he's had over the last couple of seasons to be able to adapt into a different role, maybe he's lost a yard of pace, but still being able to adapt is, is huge. Um, and left wing, I've gone human son. Um, I think the relationship him and Harry Kane have especially had this season is unbelievable. I think they've broken the record for the amount of goals and assists for a pairing. I think it was Drogba and Lampard at Chelsea, and I think they had 12 or, or 13. And then these two have just they had that done by about January. They've been on fire together. And again, it's a player they got relatively cheap from by Leverkusen. And, I think he's just one of the best players in the league. Um, I was going to go a little bit left field and pick, try and pick some options, um, but I couldn't really. There's, again, we're not been blessed with great left wingers this season. Um, but an honorary shout would be, I think, Wilfred Zaha. Now, I don't think he's been the player of the season, but I think, again, he's in double-figure goals for Crystal Palace to keep them up and to get the mid-table season after season. I think that, that should be something commended, but I think just because Son's been playing that well this season, he'll sneak in. Right, I'm going to piss people off and it's going to be great. Um, I have agreed with you two on uh, Mo Salah and Harry Kane. can only echo what you've said. Harry Kane has been just in an absolute crap pile of a season for, um, for Spurs, or at least after the first few weeks or so. Um, he has just shown that Outside Robert Lewandowski, he is the best true number nine in Europe. Um, 
and certainly in England. He's just so technically capable, great in the air, um, best finisher in the Premier League by a country mile. Mo Salah, where the hell would we be without him? Um, he's been our only consistently performing attacker this season, just ticking in goals. Um, and then on the left wing, I have gone with Jack Grealish. Um, <laughs> I, I have, I have, I, I considered Foden and I considered Son, but I just think Jack Grealish has been such a, we use the word one man team too liberally a lot of the time, but Jack Grealish has just been such a star for Aston Villa. And he is, he's like Gaza. He's so technically gifted and the dribbling that you see him do, he just wins fouls like an absolute machine. He creates chances. He's not, he's not a goal scorer like, like um, Son is. If, if you just did it on numbers, Son would walk into the left-wing role. But he, he has scored a lot of goals and he's got a lot of assists, but he's been very, very patchy this season. They've come in sort of waves, his... Um, uh, dips and, and troughs um, his goals and assists. And that's not what you need. You need consistency throughout the season. It's all very well if you score, you know, five hat-tricks um, in a season. But if that's all you score and you don't do anything for the other 33 games, then, you know, it doesn't help you too much. Um, whereas Grealish, anytime he's played for Villa... He has been consistent. He is so good on the ball and he terrifies teams when he's running at them. He's not got the pace of uh, Sam Matsuman or an Adama Traore, but he is every bit as scary with the ball at his feet. And yeah, I, I, I think he's in my left winger of the season. I think <clears throat> Grealish, I really considered him as well, but I just could, I just personally couldn't leave Foden out. But there you have it, everyone. That's our teams of the season. I'm sure, as I said, we'll post those on social media and see what responses we get and let the masses decide um, who was right and who was wrong. Um, but James, Max, thank you for your time this week. Thanks again for having us. Always a pleasure. I feel like I'm going to cop a bit of stick <laughs> for Jack Grealish. Um Foden was considered, but I just don't think he's played regularly enough um, uh, to really be considered for it, whereas Grill is just undroppable. So come what may. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week for another show where hopefully we'll be talking to you from Liverpool being in the top four. Um, until then, you can see all our content online at anfieldcentral.com and on our Twitter at Anfield underscore Central. Our podcasts are released on Apple Pods and Acast. And until next time, goodbye.